Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Customer Cafe by Calabria. Calabria is a tool that turns good account managers into great account managers through the power of great collaboration. A great account manager is a team player. This podcast is made for those in sales, customer success, and account management as a place to caffeinate, ideate, and collaborate. Subscribe now for the latest brew. Let's hit the grind. Welcome to the show. My name is Menachem Pritzker. I'm the VP of Growth at Calabria. My name is Sharon Weiss Greenberg, and I'm the Senior Content Manager at Calabria. And today we're joined by Ash Glenville. Welcome to the show, Ash. Thanks for having me, guys. Ash. <laughs> Ash is a customer success manager at Zesty, a strong team player with a cross-sector experience in communication, client relationship management, and process optimization. Uh, Ash, how's it going today? You made me sound quite fancy, so it's going quite well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are fancy. How do you you end up at Zesty uh, working in uh, customer success and account management? So I made Aliyah, came to Israel four years ago, and in a nutshell, I really had to reinvent myself and uh, align my CV to um, the Israel's way of doing business and getting into um, jobs. So I actually started off in uh, high-tech PR, which was my segue into the startup nation. I already had um, previous experience in client relationship management, um, as you said, process optimization. So um, customer success really ticked all the boxes. So I was able to um, get a job as an onboarding specialist at Zesty 18 months ago. And since then, I've uh, gone up in the world. <laughs> I was going to say, like, moving on up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's how I got to Zesty. And that's how specifically I got into success. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, something that we're, we're really discovering when we're, we're you know, doing this podcast and we're talking to so many different people in, uh, in success and account management uh, is the such a variety of backgrounds there's so many there's so many different like job before you had account manager um that you know basically the one common denominator is like you're good at kind of you're, you're a people person you understand how people think and work and you're just kind of good at understanding emotion and relationships um so how does your background in PR help you today in account management? What was good about uh, my stint in high-tech PR was um, just getting to grips with all the all my different accounts had different technologies. So I had to be able to um, understand them in order to communicate them. So um, it kind of added another string to my bow. I think that's the phrase um, with regards to I was able to simplify um, things to put into a process to, you know, to uncomplicate um, processes and things like that. So um, working in PR was all about the communication and the messaging. So when it comes to um, success, um, specifically my role, I actually have leveraged a lot of the learnings from um, my PR. So specifically like, the success manager or success in general really needs to um, own the narrative by which they engage with customers. So often products aren't 
um, completely uh, finished and or there's bugs in systems, but you still need to be able to sort of channel the conversation towards what you want to shine the light on. And that's something that I got from uh, PR. Controlling the narrative. Controlling the narrative, correct. Uh -huh. Giving away all my trade secrets here. <laughs> I mean, it must be, uh, you know, you know, you're, you're working at Zesty. It's, uh, you know, one of the, the great Israeli startups right now, a uh, real success story. But like, how, how much easier is it, you know, working with a great product? And like, would, would all this, are all the same skills in being, a, you know, a customer success uh, manager at a company with a great product? Would they also work at a company with, you know, a less developed product? How how crucial do you think uh, having a good product is? I mean, obviously, you know, a good product is going <laughs> to make or break it. But like in terms of the skills that an account manager has, I feel like it's it's really different, like in terms of just, like you said, controlling the narrative. So my um, success world has always just been within the Zesty ecosystem. So I wouldn't, I can't really answer it with uh, depth and breadth of experience. I think that a customer success manager that has the right skill set can be successful in a company that um, doesn't have a developed product, but it would just be, it's just a lot harder. Yeah, I'm sure. To like to succeed and, and to really show the value of that product, hmm. because that's what the success manager does. If the product doesn't show the metrics, the success manager needs to somehow find a way to show those metrics in, in other ways. So it wouldn't be fun to be a success manager <laughs> at a place where the product was not very good. It, 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 it could be in case very you were fun. <laughs> in case you were considering taking a job with a very shoddy product. The only reason well, you should- Unfortunately, you, <laughs> you probably don't know until you're in the job. Um, but nothing, nothing in the startup nation is a hundred percent from the get-go. Everything is quick to, uh, to push into production and then a lot of stuff gets fixed. So you don't, you're never working with something that's a hundred percent, but you wouldn't want to be working with something that's not optimum consistently. Right. I, I guess the reason I, the reason I went in that direction was, um, you know, you, you talked about PR and, and customer success and, and, you know, how they're, they're so tied and like, obviously like, that's easy if you have a good product. Um, but I was just remembering like very early in my career and I'm, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. <laughs> um, but I, I was doing uh, customer success for AOL uh, right around the time where everyone was switching from dial up to high speed internet. And like, my job was to kind of convince people to stay with dial up. <laughs> Um, so like that was, that was a bad product. <laughs> well, it was a, it wasn't that it was a bad product. It just was not well-timed. Right. 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 It was, it was, it was after its time. It was, yeah. All right. Well, um, it's one of the reasons why, um, I wanted to move out of PR and just move into, uh, tech just because it's, there's just more of a, a horizon of, uh, right. potential products that you can work in. Um, and I was already, you know, whatever cloud is such a broad <laughs> term. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't know what I was getting into, um, with Zesty. Um, but I really think that you'll probably find with a lot of the stories is that it's just luck being in the right place 
at the right time, it was for me. Okay. I was just going to ask in terms of um, like customer success, you said about something about presenting, creating the metrics that are necessary, I guess. And so I'm curious to know if you think part of your role is improving process. It sounds like I'm assuming that you do, um, that customer success is a part of the processes of sort of creating processes or improving upon them and removing friction from any sort of, sort of internal the way you do things and our product. I'm curious if you think that is a role of customer success or if it should be, and kind of I'm doubling up and untied to tying to that, you know, it, how do you deal with sort of like a dual loyalty there? Because you want your customers to be happy and you're sort of their advocates, but you're a company, you know, um, employee. So sort of how do all those things tie in together? There's a lot of questions there bundled into one. Well, so. I love processes. So whether I was a customer success manager or some other role, I would be involving myself with processes. Part of the skill set that I bring into the role is that I'm a knowledge sharer. So why that's good in success is because I get to explain, you know, what the product does and I'm happy to answer all the questions. But internally, what that looks like is that I don't, I learned early on in my career about not wanting this whole key man risk situation. So I always wrote down processes and shared processes. So most of my LinkedIn is about processes. It's like the least sexiest thing on LinkedIn, but I write about it with pure joy uh, <laughs> because it's the most underrated thing. Uh, processes are like boring and onerous, but really without them, life would be a lot worse. What do you think is the like sexiest content on LinkedIn? No one's talking about processes, that's for sure. <laughs> People talk about customer success. Like there's all these customer success, um, you like top contributors and they have their own little ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, I, like the, I, like I the, big, the big ideas. You're, you're more yeah, in yeah. the trenches. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's because I'm coming from, like I'm not, as I said, I'm 18 months in, I've learned lots because, you know, the company's gone from, you know, 30 to over a hundred, you know, went from 50 customers to over 300 customers. The team has gone from two to like seven. We now have support. So there's like, it's kind of growth on, on steroids. Um, but, but, but I'm in the right place. Um, so I've enjoyed it, but you can't grow without having the foundation. And so I think that the processes are the foundation for the scalability, um, of the success that individuals have, have brought, because when new people come, you need to be able to relay all the information. You can't do that all verbally. You don't have the time because mm -hmm. the other person's already doing the job and the new person needs to start to do the job. So um, there needs to be some mapping of the roles and responsibilities and you know the, the knowledge base um, of that person needs to be written down somewhere. So uh, why don't you give us like a kind of a, a quick sketch of what the organization looks like at Zesty? Uh, like how, how much of your role is uh, you know, pure customer success of existing customers, how much of it is kind of working with them on renewals and, and you know, how, how focused are you increasing revenue from those clients and how many clients do you manage? So um, I had a portfolio of around 50 customers, but that was by and large because there wasn't um, 
the breadth within the team, but there's now um, more people on the team. I've actually transitioning out of uh, my direct success role. I'm now um, partner success team lead. So now I'm building out um, the success side within the uh, partner department. Mm -hmm. um, so my day is completely different to what it was. But on a portfolio, when I was managing the portfolio, there was a, a breadth of um, customer um, like size. They were all across the globe, um, dealt with different stakeholders within the organizations. So sometimes it was C-suite, sometimes it was um, the engineers, sometimes it was finance. So there was just a, a lot of, um, it's just different. Everything was different. The only consistency was the product. And, and the good thing about Zesty is that the product does exactly what it says. Yeah. So from my perspective as a success manager, I was able to bring the narrative to show that regardless of the questions, because sometimes they were more financial based questions because if it came from finance, sometimes they would be more technical questions because they would be coming from, um, you know, like uh, the DevOps people. Sometimes it's, um, you know, from the FinOps people, um, it's from a cost management perspective. But at the end of the day, um, the product speaks for itself. So the conversations that I had with customers went from, you know, proving that Zesty works in the first three months. Then we um, get to more quarterly business reviews so they can actually see the trend and how Zesty is managing them, you know, their savings like in an optimized way. And then the conversations over time develop because um, they have more questions. We have more insights to share. Um, so there is a development in the relationship um, that goes beyond just the numbers. And those are the um, way that we're moving forward. So when we have new relationship managers come, they also have to learn that the um, cycle changes you know, like what you talk about develops and changes, but because there are people that have been at the organization that bit longer, they don't have to wait the, you know, the 18 months, two years to get that knowledge. Right. Right. So, or, so how, yeah. how, how do you share that knowledge? You know, how, how do you, do you share it just on your team or with others? How tools? So um, I'm really lucky and I have a really great team. Um, I have a great manager um, in the sense that he listens to ideas and is up for anything that he thinks is a, is a good idea. Um, and when it's come to um, growing the team, you know, daily huddles stop working because there were so many people. And so we've just really changed. We keep on changing how we um, engage as a, as a team. Um, when we're all together, we, it needs to be, you know, for a useful piece of information. Like we mm -hmm. don't just all get together because it's just a waste of time. People have, have got too much stuff to um, get on with. Um, but as far as training is concerned, now that we've got more people, somebody was tasked with reviewing the existing training program to, you know, to how to improve it. Now that we've got more people, um, we have bi-weekly training sessions where people, um, the team can write things that they want to cover. So then we can organize somebody within the team to do the training or um, invite other people in. Um, so it's, it's definitely a focus. 
to keep that knowledge spread. Because um, what can happen is that the success manager really has their portfolio and it's very easy for them to be in their box. And from my perspective, I always want everybody's portfolio. I want all the team to be connected and to be able to talk to each other and know that somebody else may have already experienced that. So they should ask, you know, to ask the question because otherwise it can be quite lonely. What are, what are the metrics that a success manager uh, is judged on at Zessi? So um, we don't have um, specific KPIs that we keep to. It's something that's going to be, um, because the team has gone from small and, and has developed so quickly, that's, I believe, something that's going to be for 2023. But we do things um, like G2 reviews hmm. and renewals, um, moving customers to um, from direct into the AWS marketplace. Yeah, it's it's not it's not so KPI driven, but it it will be. It is something that they will move towards. Mm -hmm. If if there's an opportunity for you know an expansion expansion revenue or uh, you know the increasing a contract. Is that something that uh, the customer success manager is going to do his or herself? Uh, so, like the yeah. the new the new sale is basically coming from the the customer success manager. It doesn't bounce back to a sales organization. You guys are sales for existing customers. We are um, sales for existing customers. Mm -hmm. We do have another product that um, sales get looped into. Um, but it really, it's come from success. Mm -hmm. The lead is coming from success. Um, right. but as I said, there's not like strict metrics. Um, we just sort of have been doing it and we'll continue to do it. It just will be more formalized going forward. Uh-huh. That's interesting. When a, when a new opportunity comes in from an existing customer, uh, and it comes to, you know, somebody on the success team, what's. What's involved in, in, in pushing that, that new opportunity through uh, in, in your organization? Is, are, are, are things generally simple and it's just like, oh, you want a new product? Well, I'll just flip this switch for you on the back end. Or is it like every deal is kind of customized and you need to talk to product and legal and other parts of the organization? So we have the, our flagship um, product, which is our commitment manager. And mm -hmm. then we have um, a newer product, which we um, sort of cross-sell, upsell, or just introduce to customers. Um, but everything gets formalized through Salesforce. As in, if there is a new opportunity, we would create the opportunity and it flows mm -hmm. through there. Um, if there's an onboarding requirement, it's just, it's just all through Salesforce. If we need to engage legal, then we engage legal for new terms and conditions or reviewing um, contracts going from month to month to yearly. All mm -hmm. uh, fees need to be um, agreed and finalized and proved before we can um, success. Other and all, all that happens through Salesforce? Do you have a, a separate deal room? It, no, it's, no, it's not through Salesforce. Mm -hmm. It's all conversations off Salesforce, but any lead management has to be in Salesforce. There needs uh -huh. to be the audit trail of anything. Right. But it's not, it's not, um, so for example, 
it's, it's, it's not, it's not, there isn't a lot of opportunities. I don't think um, in, in Zesty is in the same way with maybe another organization. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess my question is, how do you, how do you manage the, you know, you know, you, 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 we started off talking about, you know, PR and customer success and, and how it's managing relationships with your customers. How much of your job is also managing relationships with people in your organization and getting them to kind of rally around a customer or whether it's an, a new opportunity or it's just kind of helping a customer be successful um, and getting your team to kind of rally behind you and the customer and, and help them succeed. It's the same job as in it's the same effort internally as it is externally. Sometimes it can be more of an effort on the internal side than uh, the external side. But um, from a success perspective, you're dealing with product, finance, um, sometimes sales, um, because sometimes you help support them on their leads. Um, it's a whole host of individuals within the organization, R&D, um, we now have a support team. So previously, you know, we had to, if we, there was any bugs, we had to go to speak to somebody in R&D. Now we have a support team. So a lot of the effort now falls onto them. Um, but um, if something needs to be escalated, that you always need to um, know the person that you're asking the request from. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, if you want to be successful, you, you need to um, put faces to names. Right, right. Okay. Like an anonymous request that just kind of pops up through Salesforce is treated differently than one that, you know, is somebody that you've yeah. gone out to drinks with. The other month, a uh, few months ago, I, I inadvertently ended up taking part in the um, R&D hackathon. Um, and yeah and, different. Um, okay yeah, you had to throw in inadvertently like, yes because i i didn't realize that other people outside of r&d had not put in ideas um <laughs> and so and anyway my idea got was one of the ones that got voted in and then i suddenly had to be part of a hackathon that i had no idea what i was doing anyway That's awesome what was, was the idea ash um, my idea was to have a plugin, a zesty plugin for a particular product. Anyway, it then turned, it, then we had to pivot and it became a Chrome extension. But anyway, it was awesome and it was great. Um, I literally had the best time for 48 hours. And part of why I liked it was because I got to, I got to see the, the complete opposite end of the perspective of what I see. So in R&D, everything they're doing is product related, but without mm -hmm. the customer. Like they have no interaction with the customer. And we, all we deal with is with the customer <laughs> and like, and we're using the product. So um, for me, it was really fun because they would come up with, not other people on other teams were coming up with, you know, they came up with really good ideas, but they didn't even realize how good they were because they didn't, I was able, like give them the perspective of how that would be useful to a customer and how that would be really awesome if that's what our product could do. Um, and so that was super fun. And um, now, well, I, I had a good relationship-ish with some people, then I met new people. Um, and because I've been there quite a long time and I like 
learn. I go into the detail of everything in order to simplify it. So um, I'd, I'd like to think that when I have a problem or if I need help, like they take the request seriously from, if it's coming from me. But that's part of time and effort and, um, you know, being personable and understanding, you know, that we're all on the same team. How do you how do you encourage that sort of extra exposure to kind of domains outside of your primary domain? Like, it's so important for R&D, like you said, to, to have exposure to how the customers are interacting with the products and they, they otherwise might not. And it's so important for, for you on the, the customer side to see what's kind of going on in R&D. Yes. Um, and it, that makes you better at your job and that can make them better at their jobs. Like, how do you, how does one encourage that sort of collaboration across departments? So this is something that is like work in progress because I really got an unexpected perspective of this hackathon. As in like, I didn't even know, I just wasn't expecting, you know, the outcome and and, and um, the joy. <laughs> it was really <laughs> But um, so these are things that I, I like, I constantly, since then, I bring up all the time, as in when we have new people, I want them to go, and we're on different floors. So, you know, I want them to go downstairs, I'm, I'm going to want to introduce them to these people, because they, um, you know, don't have the familiarity. Something that I am looking to do um, is actually make success more visible within the organization. And part of that is in, you know, having R&D come and speak to success, have success, maybe have opportunity to speak to R&D. So you have to um, really manipulate the situation in order to have that as an outcome, because it really is not the default. Okay, so I, besides, I have found, besides, you know, accidentally ending up at a, at a hackathon, like, what do you do to, to accomplish this? It's, it's really hard. It's really hard. Everyone's in their own little bubble. Yeah, so um, one of the things, because it's actually top of mind, is, you know, the R&D team has has grown and developed and been restructured. So um, I was asking for the organizational chart to share with success. But then I was like, let's have R&D come and talk to success mm -hmm. about the organizational chart and who is responsible for for what and what they're doing. Maybe we'd get some insights into what they're actually working on. And so likewise, I would want success at some point to be talking about success stories or uh, features that have been developed and you know have, have gone particularly well and to feed that back. Those are things that like don't, you have to be uh, proactive about find, as I said, find these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know. I don't, as I said, I'm very zesty, zesty, zesty. I really, I've <laughs> never experienced any other ecosystem. So I don't know how things have done better, like how other organizations do things um, differently, but I just always look to optimize the situation that I'm in. So that's how I'm looking to do it. Given that this was new, I'm sure you asked for a lot of advice moving into sort of a new field. Um, I'm curious to know, what's the best piece of advice you've received? It could have been for this job or from somewhere else that it was just, it translates well to this type of work or life. <laughs> so um, weirdly, um, I got advice when I was doing uh, my driving test a long time ago. 
which is very like random, but I kind of found it very profound and I use it often, <laughs> which is um, you're not in a rush. <laughs> so um, that um, I always use that to sort of put things in perspective, but success wise, um, I was told in the, when I started this role, someone said, um, it's very important to keep your customers up to date, even if you don't have an update. So that's something that I utilize. So what if there's no update? What do you, you say? Just, you say, you say, I'm really sorry, but I haven't got the information. But instead of waiting the time, you don't yes. know how long that information is going to take and they might think that you've forgotten about them. But just by reaching out, you're showing that you haven't. Just updating you that there is no update. Yeah, I mean, you probably would. It's true. Want. You don't want to be ignored. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the strap line, okay? <laughs> I saw a lot of posts. We're recording this soon after Halloween and about like not ghosting. Like how to not. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an awful thing to, to do or have done to you to just be like, oh, you're not even worth the text message. Yes, like, and it's really awkward when they message you before you've gone back. As in, yes. there's been many times that I've had to write, oh, you've got, oh, you got back to me. I was just, you know, beat me to the punch. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I often write my messages and I leave them in draft so that I'm ready to like send it off, but I'm just waiting for the last piece of information. So I do, you know, but, but that's people need information. Um, also, just because one customer doesn't chase you up and another customer does always chase you up, I try to te- uh, treat all my customers exactly the same. Right. Not just the squeaky wheel. Getting yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another piece of advice I've been given. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is that what you learn with one customer, you just translate to another customer. So when I started, everything was like big and scary. Like every conversation like was nerve inducing, right? Because you, it was, you know, they know everything and you don't know anything, but over time, the fact is, is that you are now talking to now 50 people with all different variety of experience. And all that customer knows that, you, that you're speaking to is just what they experience. So then the balance changes. You know, I have, I can say, you know, lots of our customers have experienced that. Oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. And it, it actually helps, you know, build the rapport and the trust um, with new customers. So practice makes perfect. Yeah. Uh, so Ash, what are, what are some things that you do to get better at uh, customer success and account management? Heavy so question. I read, I actually went to LinkedIn. I went to LinkedIn. What does that mean? Um, as in, I have the soft skills. I have soft skills as in they're all transferable. Um, but the whole like success environment is new ecosystem. And there's, you know, people that have been doing it longer and honing their skills um and share it on linkedin so i have gone to linkedin linkedin is Uh, your biggest source of knowledge you think yes outside of you know on the job learning yes who are some of the people that you follow on linkedin they're like part of a they're, they're basically i mean it's its own little echo chamber that's the thing is there like a group or a hashtag or something that you follow they're like CS top, top something. They like, there's an award program and they get named. 
anyway, it's the majority of them are from there. But um, the I did get into this whole echo chamber and I did stop following some people because I find that they just repeat what other people say. And I'm not into that. I like a lot new, of regurgitating. Yeah, I hate that. I like new things. Um, I like to hear new things um, and like to actually learn. I don't like other people just regurgitating. Um, but also I follow, um, you know, like work psychologists on LinkedIn. So sometimes I get like interesting things from there. I try and follow um, some of my customers and just to keep on top of things. I mean, I could definitely do better, um, but, you know, time podcasts books so since i've moved i did start um listening to podcasts i i haven't recently um but i got well into brene brown as sharon knows i'm really into brene brown who's that um, oh she's just this awesome woman she is like a phd in she has a phd i'm really not gonna honor her brene if you hear this i'm really sorry i'm not honoring <laughs> but she does um she was a uh, i think a, a phd in in um social work and she is a lecturer but like not just a lecturer like a professor like she's a professor and yeah. she had like umpteen years of um research that she had done so she was like a well established individual in her field and she must have been because she went and did a ted talk Right. So you don't just get invited to do a TED talk if you're like a nobody. Um, anyway, she did this TED talk about her research about vulnerability and shame, things that people don't talk about. Anyway, it's one of the top five or top 10 TED talks ever watched. She has something on Netflix now, also. That you can watch. Yeah. yeah. So since then, she's like written books, like a variety of different books. Um, she's now one of her one of her talks is on Netflix she just has uh, she just released a book called Atlas of the Heart which got made into like an HBO um, series where she like just talks about the book like certain sections of the book Um, so she's all about being your authentic self and understanding your own emotions so that you can really build true relationships I really did not do it justice. What I say is that you should go and watch the Netflix. And if you don't like that, then you won't like anything that she says. Um, that's that's like. And if you do, story. then hang out with us because she looks. Yeah, I just I'm don't want to say I'm like an older person, and I would like to have known some of this information previously. Like, and you know, I'd like to be instilling the learnings in my children that I'm learning from her because I feel that it could save a lot of heartache down the line. How does, how does what she talk about, what she talks about make you better at your job? A lot of the things that I find about uh, when I read is some things are new and some things that, you know, it turns out that I do anyway without knowing that it's a thing. So that's like nice to know. When it comes to the Brene Brown things, there's a there's a big gap <laughs> in my learning. So I learn a lot about myself and, you know, like from what she talks about. Um, but one of the things that I do already is that I try to be myself at 
work. I do have a work Ash, like there is a version of me, but like personality wise, I'm pretty much like that outside of work as well. Um, and, you know, in my new role, I'm going to be, a, I'm, I'm managing a person, like I will have a team and I have a person and what I've learned, which is why I started listening to her, um, because I want to build a, a relationship with that person that's healthy and meaningful so that I get something out of it, they get something out of it, um, and that it's scalable so that, you know, in turn, I will also build a, a team like my boss has built, you know, productive, friendly, engaging, nice to be on. All right. Um... I just love your authenticity and everything you say, you know, um, there's a lot of brilliance behind what you say and real life experience, but the, the humility and the constant life, like lifelong learner. Um, so I just appreciate everything that you shared today. It's, you know, the wheels will be turning. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Ash. Thanks for joining us for today's brew. Like what you heard, let the world know. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Subscribe now so you never miss an exciting episode. See you soon!